This podcast was produced by Big Night Media, a proud partner of Big Night Entertainment. Hey, you know what? It's really fun to be here. Y'all know that theme music. What's up, what's up, what's up? How we doing, how we doing? And welcome to episode 214, episode 214 of the Banner Patch Podcast. I'm your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. How's everyone doing? Hope you had a great Easter weekend if you celebrate it. And if you didn't, hope you had a great weekend. Uh, you can find me on the Twitter machine at Banner Banter 18 or on Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. And as you know, I'm part of the Big Night Media team with some great podcasts like Daycations, Drinks After Work, Be Fit, Music You're Missing, A Chance to Strive, No Limits with Kevin Cooney, I'm the promoter, he's the DJ, 30 Flirty and surviving eat the damn cake and of course the wicked fast podcast your favorite nascar podcast with myself and the iconic brian bell and you can always check out card vault breaks if you're into sports cards every single day of the week on youtube whatnot facebook and instagram or you can go check them out in person at patriot place or down in foxwood resort casino or at the Fenway Card Show on May 20th and 21st, right at Fenway Park. Tickets are available now. Go check that out. And you can always follow Big Night Media on Instagram at Big Night Media for your chance to win free tickets to upcoming shows at Big Night Live. And I think, oh yeah, go get your Banner Banter Podcast merchandise for the playoffs. I mean, sheesh. Go support the brand, goddammit. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, all that stuff. Thanks so much. So, let's make it clear, okay? We are... The regular season is done. It is playoff mode, and there will be a brand new episode of the Banner Banter podcast the morning after every single motherfucking Celtics playoff game. Now, sometimes it will be 8 a.m., sometimes it will be 8.30. really depends on what's going on in this thing called life, but I will do my best to make sure that it is out by 9 a.m. every single morning at the absolute latest. Some mornings, I could be so fired up at after a win, you'll wake up at 7 a.m. and be like, oh my God, this kid already recorded a podcast. What a psycho. All right, the current state of the Boston Celtics, the regular season's over. They finished one game behind the Milwaukee Bucks with a 57-25 and record. They could be in first place if it wasn't for number 12 missing those two free, th- uh, two free throws in Cleveland, but <laughs> I digress. 32-9 and record at home, which is lovely because the Boston Celtics will have home court advantage in every single playoff matchup this playoff run except for when they play the Milwaukee Bucks. So even if they make the NBA Finals, guess what? They will still have home court advantage. And, of course, I said if because this this is not going to be easy, folks. So 32-9 at home record, 25-16 and 16 on the road, 34-18 and 18 against all the teams in the Eastern Conference, 5-8 and eight in three-point games, which will come up later in the podcast. A very important note here. 5-8 and eight in games decided by three points or less. 30 
one and eleven in games decided by ten points or more. They're thirty-three and fifteen against teams over five hundred, which to me is a huge stat and very important moving forward. And they're four and seven in overtime this year. Not great, Bob. But this is the fun part and how crazy and successful this season really has been for the Boston Celtics. They're number one in point differential, number one in net rating, number two in offensive rating, and number two in defensive rating. So top two in both categories of the ratings, defensive and offensive. And there's only been one other team that has done that in the history of the NBA, and they actually have done it twice. So this is the third time it's happened in NBA history. The first time was back in 2014, 2015 with the Golden State Warriors, and then the second time it happened was the Warriors back in 2015, 2016 when they went 73-9. and So the Boston Celtics this season made history by being the first team other than the Golden State Warriors to have a top two offensive rating and a top two defensive rating. So very impressive. And then when you speak of history, you say to yourself, well, Jason Tatum won the scoring title after becoming the first Celtic in the history of the organization. Think about that. Bill Russell, Larry Bird, Bob Cousy, John Havlicek, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting some people, but those are the people that just come to the mind. First player ever in the history of the Boston Celtics to score 30 points a game. Jason Tatum won the scoring title. Congrats on that. Hopefully he doesn't give a shit about it because it really doesn't matter. All that matters is Banner 18. And then you also have to give Jalen Brown a little bit of a shout-out and then take that shout-out away very quickly because the shout-out is he had a nice little record himself this season. He finished with the 10th highest points per game in the history of the Boston Celtics. The only people in front of him, Jason Tatum, Larry Bird, John Havlicek, and Paul Pierce. Not too shabby, huh? Not too shabby. Now, what we're going to do to take that shout-out away is the fact that Jalen Brown now has five stitches in his hand because he cut his hand on some glass supposedly, allegedly, after he had to pick up a vase from one of the plants that was broken in his house. Um, I kind of find that hard to believe because I'm, I'm pretty sure if you're that athletic and your hands are that big, maybe you know how to pick up glass, but maybe it did happen and it was just one of those weird things. And unfortunately, it is on his shooting hand, which sucks even more. Five stitches. Hopefully that Celtics training staff can get him ready to go as soon as possible. I wouldn't be surprised if he misses game one uh, on Saturday at 3.30 p.m., but we'll see. I, I Again, I wouldn't be surprised. I just hope he's okay because, say it with me now, Jalen Brown is the most important player on the Boston Celtics, and hopefully he's ready to come back with that mask on, ready to ball the fuck out. As far as everyone else, it seems like everyone else is healthy and ready to go. Al, Rob, Marcus, Malcolm will get a full week off, which should be huge for them, especially Marcus, because I think Marcus's ankle is still bothering him. Obviously, that's huge for Al and Rob. And, you know, Malcolm, I, I love the way that the Celtics dealt with Malcolm's playing time this year. They didn't force it a lot. He never started a game. He should win sixth man of the year, et cetera, et cetera. So I was very impressed and very happy about that. You know, also got to give a shout out to Peyton Pritchard on getting that triple double yesterday against the, against the Atlanta Hawks. No one was playing, so Peyton's like, "I'll ball, I'll I'll get a fucking triple double on Easter Sunday. Who cares?" Congrats to Sam Hauser. Great season. Really shut everyone up. Improved his uh, defense. Obviously shooting the three point ball very well. And possibly the way he's played over this last week, and I know it was against some shit opponents. He might have earned himself a rotation in the playoffs. Not a big one. But maybe maybe a possible spot. And then a big shout-out to Derek White, too, for playing all 82 games this year. That's wildly impressive, especially in the world and the NBA. So, again, new episode after every single playoff game moving forward. Let's talk about the play-in the play tournament, shall we? So, this is how it's going to work. The Heat host 
the Atlanta Hawks. The Miami Heat host the Atlanta Hawks tomorrow night on Tuesday night, 7.30 p.m. on TNT. The winner of this game will play the Boston Celtics, and we'll dive into those two teams later on in the podcast. Then you have the Bulls. They'll be traveling to Toronto to play the Raptors on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on ESPN. The winner of that game will play the loser of the Heat and the Hawks. So let's say the Heat win. The winner of the Bulls-Raptors game, let's say it's the Bulls, will then go to Atlanta to play the Atlanta Hawks. The winner of that game will go on to play the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round. Make sense? Great. Then in the Western Conference, for the play-in, you have the Minnesota Timberwolves going to the Staples Center, the CryptocurrencyStupid.com Center, whatever it's called, on Tuesday night after the Heat and Hawks game on TNT. Make sense? The winner of that game will play the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round. Then, Wednesday night, after the Bulls and Raptors game on ESPN, you have the Pelicans playing at home against the Oklahoma City Thunder at 9.30 p.m. on ESPN. The winner of that game will play the... uh, the, I'm sorry. The winner of that game will play the winner... I'm sorry, the loser of the Lakers-Timberwolves game. Makes sense? So if the Timberwolves lose and the Pelicans win, the Pelicans will be hosting the Timberwolves, and the winner of that game will be playing the Denver Nuggets. Sound good? Heat Hawks, winner of that game, plays the Celtics, and then either the Heat, Hawks, Bulls, or Raptors will play (laughs) uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, and then the Lakers, Timberwolves, Pelicans, and Thunder will either play the Nuggets or the Lakers and the Timberwolves will just be playing the Grizzlies. Sound good? The rest of the... uh, NBA playoff matchups, if I remember off the top of my head, will be the 76ers will be hosting the Brooklyn Nets, and the Cavs will be playing the Knicks. And then in the Western Conference, the Kings will be playing the Warriors, where I'm pretty sure the average score of those games will be 212 to 215. And then the Clippers will face off against the Suns. Yeah, okay. So here are my predictions. I'm going to say the Hawks are going to be the eighth seed, and the Bucks will win in five. The 76ers are going to beat the Nets in five games. The Cavs will beat the Knicks in six games. The Nuggets, they'll beat the Timberwolves in six games. The Grizzlies will beat the Lakers in seven games. The Kings will beat the Warriors in seven games. And the Clippers are going to upset the Suns in six games. Okay, great. So let's talk about the playoff matchup for the Boston Celtics. The Celtics will be hosting their first playoff game on saturday at td garden april 15th at 3 30 p.m tickets are already on sale now if you can't get tickets or the tickets are too expensive for you come down to studio b which is attached to big night live which is right next to td garden and you can purchase five dollar tickets on ticketmaster.com starting tomorrow tuesday at 10 a.m tickets are only five bucks it's a 21 plus event come on in watch the celtics with a bunch of crazy celtics fans we did it for all six of the finals games in Game 7 against the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. Huge success. Um, obviously a big help thanks to Green Runs Deep and Babs on the mic uh, for helping us promote these events because obviously their following uh, for these two events is far more than what this podcast has. It's absolutely wild. But here are the five kind of storylines that I'm going to be focusing on t- throughout these playoffs. The first is turnovers. I know I talked about that a lot last week in episode 213, but the Celtics have to limit their turnovers throughout these entire playoffs. And I don't want to see a game with more than 15 turnovers because the second that you do, it will most likely be a loss. I would say probably a 98% chance that it's going to be a loss because we know that will just be a nightmare. 
Smart passes. Make the extra pass. No lazy passes inbounding the ball. No lazy outlet passes down the court. Throw them with aggression. The second you get a rebound, push it and go. But like, also when you drive into traffic, don't force a pass either. Go up and try and get that foul call. Try and hit the free throws. The Celtics are a pretty darn good free throw shooting team at times. Maybe not in pressure. Like in Cleveland, number 12, I can't believe he still missed those free throws. I'm still angry about it. Anyways, um, but here's the thing. In all of this, the turnovers start with Jason and, and Jalen. Not Marcus, not Derek, not, Mal- not Malcolm. Here's the thing. If the Celtics play in Miami, Jason Tatum has had 10 games this year with five, turno- with five turnovers or more, and two of those were against the Miami Heat. One was with five turnovers, and another one was with seven. And guess what? Go ahead. Take a guess. They lost the game where he had seven turnovers. So that's obviously very important. And then when you look at Jalen, Jalen played, Jalen missed a game or two against the Heat this year, but in both of the games that he played against the Heat this year, five turnovers and seven turnovers. So if the Miami Heat do beat the Atlanta Hawks tomorrow night on TNT at 7.30 p.m., the Heat are going to be coming after Jalen and Jason and forcing them into turnovers, which is a huge positive for the Miami Heat. So turnovers are very important team-wide throughout the entire organization, but Jalen and Jason have to limit them because they're going to see some defenses that they're not used to or just haven't seen in a while, especially with this last month of the season. You know, not a lot of great matchups for them. And then the second thing I'm going to be looking at is three-point shooting. Obviously, Missoula ball is clearly important to this team. It has gotten to the Celtics where they are today, whether you agree with it or not, but Great ball movement and three-point shooting are why the Boston Celtics are the number two seed in the Eastern Conference and why they have the second-best record in the NBA throughout the entire season. They live and die by the three. I mean, just yesterday alone in the Hawks game at TD Garden, nice little Sunday afternoon with my Uncle Kevin. Shout-out to my Uncle Kevin. It was a great time. The first 11 shots that the Celtics took were (laughs) three-pointers. They love shooting three-pointers. The Celtics took 3,492 three-pointers this season, making 1,315 of them for a total of 37%. Their opponents took 2,763 while making 954 for a total of 34%. The Celtics literally took over 700 more three-pointers than their opponents. The league average is... Wow, fuck. I don't remember it. I think it was 2,806 is the league average. So the Celtics took almost, a, I would say, 700, yeah, give or take, 700 more three-pointers than the league average this year. They love taking threes. But here's the thing. If the Celtics do get cold from three, it is vital, V-I-T-A-L, vital that Joe Missoula puts his guys in better spots. Because here's the thing. We believe that Joe Missoula is a good coach is he a great coach we have yet to see that but this is one of those things where Joe Mazzulla is going to be tested because now he has to make adjustments from game to game and clearly every single team is going to go okay well we just have to stop them shooting three-pointers because what else do they do besides that so this is where Mazzulla is going to have to get cute if the three-point shot isn't working you got to get Tatum in the post have to get Jalen to the elbow Pick and roll with Marcus and Rob. Have Malcolm and Derek drive to the rim. Use those floaters that they're very good at. The list goes on and on. But Joe has to make something happen if Missoula ball isn't working. Because a lot of teams will try and play zone. And we all know how teams, when when teams play zone against the Celtics team, it's usually not very good. It's not great, Bob. 
So turnovers, three-point shooting. Those are the first two things I'm going to be looking at. The third is rebounding. The Celtics finished seventh overall in rebounding this year, and there are there are only two teams in the Eastern Conference that rebounded the ball better than them. So that's obviously a huge advantage, and that's the Bucks and the Knicks. Uh, it would the only way we would see the Knicks is in the Eastern Conference Finals. But the Celtics were a top three defensive rebounding team, and that's very important because that means their opponents are not getting offensive rebounds, which leads to second chance points. Now, obviously, a healthy Rob and a healthy Al is going to be huge, but again, you need help from Jalen and Jason. And I know I keep bringing up Jalen and Jason, but these two, literally this season, because of their stats, I think Tatum averaged 30 points a game and Jalen Brown was like 25 and a half or 26 and a half. Those are comparable numbers to Kobe and Shaq back in the early 2000s. Now, obviously, I'd take my money on those two as much as I hate the Lakers, but the two of them together were something else. I enjoy watching Jalen and Jason play. But every single thing that they've said at the end of this season, or at the end of last season, and the beginning of the season, is so important. It is their time now. They have to limit their turnovers. They have to hit big shots when needed. And they have to help rebound the ball. You remember those games where Jason Tatum would get like 30 points, five rebounds, and or five assists and 12 rebounds? Those are the games that we are going to need from Jason Tatum throughout. And same with Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown, you know, if he only wants to have two or three assists like he usually does, fine, whatever. But we need seven or eight rebounds from him. It just can't be all Rob and Al. It can't. I'm sorry. It really can't. But Derek White has to help in too especially on the defensive rebounding side of the ball. If you limit second-chance points, you'll win a lot of games. The Celtics are 29-14 and 14 this season when they allow their opponents to get 10 offensive rebounds or less. That's a pretty good fucking record. Box out. Now, the next part is a little thing called headspace. And I don't I I usually do a couple bullet points here and there, you know, when I'm just kind of like looking over my notes. I, I would say... 60% of this podcast is off the dome piece, but the other 40%, you know, I I, I make some notes because I'm not going to remember that the Celtics took 3,492 three-pointers this year. I obviously have a note for that, but I did forget the league average. Here's the thing. This team has to be ready for war night in and night out. No more breaks against easy teams. No more taking nights off. This is all or nothing. It's an O-Town song, because I want it all or nothing at all. You talk shit all season about how you're ready to go back to the finals. You know what it takes. You know what you have to do. How bad do you want to get back? Willing to do whatever it takes, and it starts right the fuck now. If you are down 10, you have to fight back the right way. When you are up 12, you have to fight even harder to keep that lead. No more giving up fucking big leagues. I understand this league is a league of runs. If you're up 10... A team's going to go on a 10-0 run. But how do you respond to that 10-0 run? Do you let the team that just went on a 10-0 run go on another 10-0 run, or do you fight back? You have to hit your free throws late in games. You have to want the ball. You can't miss fourth-quarter free throws. You can't sprint out the gates and then be exhausted at the end of the game. You can't do any of that shit. Ime ain't around anymore to be yelling at people, okay? Who is going to set up or step up when the team is struggling after a timeout? Is it going to be Joe Mazzulla? Do the players like trust Joe Mazzulla that he's going to freak out at them? The excuses are now out the door. Their experience, you saw it. You saw what it takes. You saw how bad you want it. You want it more than ever before. There's a lot of pressure on this team to make it to the finals and win the finals. And everything that I've heard, whether it was preseason 
or throughout the entire season or training camp is that they want the pressure, they're ready for the pressure, and they are prepared for it. Show me. Show me. Show us. Show every single motherfucking Celtics fan because my biggest concern about this team, sure, three-point shooting, you're going to have some off nights. That sucks. Turnovers sometimes, yeah, it's just not going to go your way. I get that. But this team has to stop being mentally soft. They, they've ran out of excuses. Now, if someone gets hurt, sure. Top seven player gets hurt, sure. You could throw out some excuses. But if you're healthy, there is no fucking reason why you can't make it to the NBA Finals again. Especially if you know what it takes, you have the experience for it. I mean, this, this group has been to the Eastern Conference Finals, it feels like, 78 times. But they've only been to the finals once. And now you know what it takes? Fucking get there. Fuck. Anyways, the rotation is my last piece. Uh, Number five. Yeah, because I wanted to talk about five things. What is Joe Mazzulla going to do with the rotation? How deep is he going to go? In my opinion, the starting lineup should be Marcus, Derek, Jalen, Jason, and Al. Rob and Malcolm should be coming off the bench no matter what. And then the question is, what happens after those seven? It's going to be very interesting. Will it be matchup-based? Probably. But is Sam Hauser going to get some minutes? Now, clearly, when Sam Hauser's on the floor, he's a three-point threat. And if Jason Tatum's out there, Jason Tatum's um, ball movement this year and getting guys involved, uh, passing out of double teams and traps has been wildly impressive. So does Sam Hauser get some minutes? What happens with number 12? Number 12 obviously has been a disappointment this year, whether you like him or not. He's been a disappointment. He's taken a step back. Is he ready for the playoffs? Is he mentally ready for the playoffs. His body language sucks. Can someone make sure he stops complaining to the refs all the time? I mean, yesterday in a game that really didn't matter that much, he got bumped. It should have been called a foul, and he just sat there on the floor for five seconds. Why? Get your ass up, bud, and go. Will Blake Griffin take number 12 minutes? How much Blake Griffin will we see? Will he come in to be a spark plug, or will that be Peyton Pritchard, because Peyton Pritchard, as of late, including getting a triple-double, clearly his confidence is sky-high. So if he doesn't play for a game or two, will that confidence still be there? Can he still be that spark plug that he was for parts of the playoff run last year? Now, most playoff teams will go eight deep, but the Celtics could go nine or ten deep. But is that too much? You know, it's very hard. Do you go ten deep in the first round, and then after that, you only go seven or eight? Do you just... It's so interesting. Now, remember, Hauser doesn't have a lot of playoff experience. Blake Griffin does. Number 12 does. Uh, and Peyton Pritchard was, you know, he played in the finals last year. So he has experience as well. So I'm really going to be focused on the rotation here. How much does he play Rob and Al in that first round, to, you know, to maybe prepare them against the 76ers? Obviously, it's a game by game. You cannot look into the next round. But will how much will some of the players minutes be monitored in these playoffs if they win let's say the first two games or the first three games of the series it'll be very very interesting to see what the rotation is going to be will it be sam hauser will it be number 12 will it be blake griffin i don't see mike muscala really playing a lot it's all going to be wildly interesting so now the question is who are they going to be playing in the first round and remember new episode after every single playoff game will it be the hawks will it be the heat now obviously if you're even half of a basketball fan, you'll go, well, yeah, of course we want it to be the the Atlanta Hawks, duh. So let's start off with the Hawks, shall we? The Celtics beat the Hawks three times this year, twice at home and once at TD Garden. They won 
by 6 points, 9 points, and 25 points. And here's the thing. The Hawks are a good young team. They have a new coach, Quinn Snyder, but they are not very good against uh, good teams. For example, they are 19-28 and 28 against teams with a record above 500. They're 17-24 and 24 on the road. Not great, Bob, especially when you don't have home court advantage. And the Celtics, like I said, will have home court advantage throughout every single playoff series, again, uh, minus the Bucs. Here's the thing, though. The Atlanta Hawks are a top seven offense in the league. They score the ball very well in bunches, but they're a bottom 10 defensive team. They have a solid starting five, obviously Trey Young, and if he can realize that maybe only taking 10 three-pointers a game versus 20 and passing the ball like a point guard should, this team will be, will be a lot better in the future and down the road, especially with a new coach, a good coach. Quinn Snyder is a very good coach. Then you have John Collins and Clint Capella, tough on the glass and in the paint. Um, John Collins thinks he can spread the floor. He's on a great three-point shooter, but thinks that, that he is. Uh, so that will be a tough matchup. It wouldn't be a tough match. I'm sorry. Dip, dip, dip. It will be a tough matchup for Al Horford, but that's why you don't start Al and Rob um, if you're playing the Hawks. <laughs> you, you pick which one you want and have the other one come off the bench. Then you got DeJounte Murray, one of the better defensive point guards in the league. It's why they went out and got... Um, him to kind of hide Trey Young defensively. You got Bogdanovich, who can shoot the lights out. Sadiq Bey, a solid 3 and D guy. Uh, DeAndre Hunter, you know, he can give you 15 points a night. He's a good player. A.J. Griffin can light up from three off the bench as well. Okongwu, reasonable backup uh, for them as well. But here's the thing. The Hawks haven't been a great three-point shooting team this year, but they do have the shooters that can, I don't want to say match, but keep up. Maybe not match, but keep up with the Celtics' three-point shooting. But the Celtics' depth, much better. Marcus could and should give Trey Young hell. Just absolute hell. And the Hawks can rebound the ball well. They finished top 10 in the league. Celtics were 7th. I think the Hawks were ninth or 10th. Um, and listen, if the Hawks win on Tuesday, I'll say Celtics in 5. That will be my first-round prediction if they play the, the Atlanta Hawks. Now, let's talk about the Miami Heat, shall we? Because... The Miami Heat are a good basketball team, even though they're the seventh seed. And the Miami Heat, which every single Celtics fan should be nervous about, you can be confident, just like I said last week, you can be confident in this team, as you should be. But the Miami Heat have to make you a little nervous, and I'll give you three reasons why. Number one, they clearly want revenge from losing the Eastern Conference Finals last year. If they don't want revenge, then they're fucking idiots. Number two, they have Eric Spolstra, who is a far better coach than Joe Missoula. I like Joe Missoula. I think he'll be a good coach eventually, like a great coach eventually, but Eric Spoltra is light years better than him, which is a little nervous when it comes to adjustments and rotations and things that I just mentioned a few minutes ago. And number three, they don't give a fuck. The Miami Heat don't give a fuck. They will do whatever it takes to win. They don't get in their own heads. None of that. They, they go after it every single night. But... They haven't played their best basketball this year. They have scored the lowest amount of points in the NBA per game this year. One of the slowest teams in pace. Bottom four in three-point shooting. Bottom five in field goal percentage. Bottom four in rebounding. Bottom six, bottom six in assists. But they're a top ten league, a uh, top ten team in the league when it comes to taking care of the ball. They don't turn the ball over a lot, and they're also a top ten defensive team as well when it comes to defensive rating. Now. Of course, because this is just the way the basketball gods work against the Miami Heat, they'll probably turn into a top four three-point shooting team in the league and crush the boards 
you know, basically do the opposite of everything that they couldn't do this season because, of course. But here's the thing. The, the Miami Heat on the road, 17-24. and 24. Not a very good road record. 24-24 and 24 against teams with a 500 record or above. But this stat goes back to my second point of not giving a fuck for the Miami Heat and my third, I'm sorry, my fourth point about headspace when it comes to the Boston Celtics. You ready for this? This is where I start getting a little uncomfortable. The Miami Heat are 14-8 and eight this year in three-point games. Any game within three points or less, the Miami Heat are 14-8. and eight. And your Boston Celtics are 5-8. and eight. A losing record versus a winning record. This team knows how to win late because Jimmy Butler ain't afraid of anything. Not you, not Iron Man, not... A really scary monster, not Logan Roy, rest in peace. None of that. He's not afraid of any of it, and it's crazy to me. It really and truly is. Miami has three out of the 10 best players in clutch situations in the NBA this season. Three out of the top 10 of the best players in clutch situations in the NBA this season. There isn't one Celtics player in the top 50. That is alarming and concerning. And this is where I talk about the headspace where the Boston Celtics need to grow up, take that next step, and literally do whatever it takes. Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, I don't want to say can score as much as Tatum and Brown, but they can really keep up with them. So again, the Celtics depth is mad important here. You got Tyler Hero, Max Struess. If they both are shooting the ball well, they've been known as Celtics killers. Marcus Smart needs to run that fucking loser. Kyle Lowry into the ground will be an honor to boo that man again uh, for every playoff game against the Heat at TD Garden. Then They got Kevin Love now. Is that the number 12 matchup? Is that the Sam Hauser matchup? Is that the Blake Griffin matchup? Again, what is Joe Mazzullo going to do with the rotation? Um, Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon have to make sure that Victor Oladipo or Gabe Vincent or one of the Martin brothers doesn't go off like they have before or like they did in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. But listen, this will not be an easy matchup. They split the season series 2-2 to with each team winning one game on the road. And then last year, in the Eastern Conference Finals, the Celtics had to win two games on the road, including Game 7. So obviously they're confident playing there, which is great. But listen... Excuse me. Oh, there's my last part. I almost made the whole podcast without it. But listen, the Heat may be fading as a team, like their future, but they are ready to go. And if they end up beating the Hawks, this won't be easy. I'm confident, but it won't be easy. If the Heat win that game, I think the Celtics win this series in six games. But I'm telling you, it will not be easy. And it may make you think, fuck, I wish we were playing the Atlanta Hawks as the eighth seed because... It would be happening if number 12 just hit those fucking free throws in Cleveland. Yeah. And that's it for episode 214 of the Banner Banter Podcast. Episode 215 will be out Sunday morning right after game one of the Celtics playoff game. Follow me on the Twitter machine at Banner Banter 18 or on Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. Don't miss a podcast after every single Celtics playoff game. Hit the subscribe button to get notified when the newest episodes come out. Thank you all for your support as always. We'll talk soon. Toodles and noodles. X's and O's. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. 
I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.